Chapter 15, Part 2 of the Commentaries on the Laws of England by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes. Of Title by Purchase and First by Eschette. Part 2. Sir Edward Coke also holds that if an alien cometh into England, and there hath issue two sons, who are thereby natural-born subjects, and one of them purchases land and dies, yet neither of these brethren can be heir to the other. For the commune vinculum, or common stock of their consanguinity, is their father, and, as he had no inheritable blood in him, he could communicate none to his sons, and, when the sons can by no possibility be heirs to the father, the one of them shall not be heir to the other. And this opinion of his seems founded upon solid principles of the ancient law, not only from the rule before cited, that cestue que duit inheriter al pere, doit inheritere al fits, but also because we have seen that the only feudal foundation upon which newly purchased land can possibly descend to a brother is the supposition and fiction of law that it descended from some one of his ancestors. But in this case, as the immediate ancestor was an alien, from whom it could by no possibility descend, this should destroy the supposition and impede the descent, and the land should be inherited ut feudem stricte novum, that is, by none but the lineal descendants of the purchasing brother, and on failure of them should shet to the lord of the fee. But this opinion hath been since overruled, and it is now held for the law that the sons of an alien born here may inherit to each other and reasonably enough upon the whole, for, as in common purchases, the whole of the supposed descent from indefinite ancestors is but fictitious, the law may as well suppose the requisite ancestor as suppose the requisite descent. It is also enacted by the statute 11 and 12 William III C6 that all persons being natural-born subjects of the king may inherit and make their titles by descent from any of their ancestors lineal or collateral, although their father or mother or other ancestor, by, from, through, or under whom they derived their pedigrees, were born out of the king's allegiance. But inconveniences were afterwards apprehended in case persons should thereby gain a future capacity to inherit who did not exist at the death of the person last seized. As, if Francis, the elder brother of John Stiles, be an alien, and Oliver, the younger, be a natural-born subject, upon John's death, without issue, his lands will descend to Oliver, the younger brother. Now, if afterwards Francis hath a child, it was feared that, under the statute of King William, this newborn child might defeat the estate of his uncle Oliver. Wherefore it is provided, by the statute 25 George II, C. 39, 
that no right of inheritance shall accrue by virtue of the former statute to any persons whatsoever unless they are in being and capable to take as heirs at the death of the person last seized. With an exception, however, to the case where lands shall descend to the daughter of an alien, which daughter shall resign such inheritance to her afterborn brother or divide it with her afterborn sisters according to the usual rule of descents by the common law. 7. By attainder also, for treason or other felony, the blood of the person attainted is so corrupted as to be rendered no longer inheritable. Great care must be taken to distinguish between forfeiture of lands to the king and this species of eschet to the lord, which, by reason of their similitude in some circumstances, and because the crown is very frequently the immediate lord of the fee, and therefore entitled to both, have been often confounded together. Forfeiture of lands, and whatever else the offender possessed, was the doctrine of the old Saxon law as part of the punishment for the offense, and does not at all relate to the feudal system nor is the consequence of any seigniory or lordship paramount, but being a prerogative vested in the crown was neither superseded nor diminished by the introduction of the Norman tenures, a fruit and consequence of which Eschet must undoubtedly be reckoned. Eschet, therefore, operates in subordination to this more ancient and superior law of forfeiture. The doctrine of a shet upon a tender taking singly is this, that the blood of the tenant by the commission of any felony under which denomination all treasons were formerly comprised is corrupted and stained and the original donation of the feud is thereby determined, it being always granted to the vassal on the implied condition of dum bene se gesserit. Upon the thorough demonstration of which guilt, by legal attainder, the feudal covenant and mutual bond of fealty are held to be broken, the estate instantly falls back from the offender to the lord of the fee, and the inheritable quality of his blood is extinguished and blotted out forever. In this situation, the law of feudal achet was brought into England at the conquest and in general superadded to the ancient law of forfeiture. In consequence of which corruption and extinction of hereditary blood, the land of all felons would immediately invest in the Lord, but the superior law of forfeiture intervenes and intercepts in its passage, in case of treason, forever, in case of other felony, for only a year and a day, after which time it goes to the Lord in a regular course of a shed, as it would have done to the heir of the felon in case the feudal tenures had never been introduced. And that this is the true operation and genuine history of Eschets will most evidently appear from this incident to Gavilkine lands, which seem to be the old Saxon tenure, that they are in no case subject to Eschet for felony, though they are liable to forfeiture for treason. As a consequence of this doctrine of Eschet, all lands of inheritance immediately revesting in the Lord, the wife of the felon was liable to lose her dower till the statute 1 Edward VI C12 enacted 
that albeit any person be attainted for misprision of treason, murder, or felony, yet his wife shall enjoy her dower. But she has not this indulgence where the ancient law of forfeiture operates, for it is expressly provided by the statute 5 and 6, Edward VI, C. 11, that the wife of one attaint of high treason shall not be endowed at all. Hitherto, we have only spoken of estates vested in the offender at the time of his offense or attainder. And here the law of forfeiture stops, but the law of Achets pursues the matter still farther. For, the blood of the tenant being utterly corrupted and extinguished, it follows not only that all he now has should Achet from him, but also that he should be incapable of inheriting anything for the future. This may farther illustrate the distinction between forfeiture and a shet. If, therefore, a father be seized in fee, and the son commits treason and is attainted, and then the father dies, here the land shall a shet to the Lord, because the son, by the corruption of his blood, is incapable to be heir, and there can be no other heir during his life. But nothing shall be forfeited to the king, for the son never had any interest in the lands to forfeit. In this case, the eshet operates, and not the forfeiture, but in the following instance, the forfeiture works, and not the eshet. As where a new felony is created by act of parliament, and is provided, as is frequently the case, that it shall not extend to the corruption of blood. Here the lands of the felon shall not eschet to the Lord, but yet the profits of them shall be forfeited to the king so long as the offender lives. There is yet a farther consequence of the corruption and extinction of hereditary blood, which is this, that the person attainted shall not only be incapable himself of inheriting or transmitting his own property by heirship, but shall also obstruct the descent of lands or tenements to his posterity in all cases where they are obliged to derive their title through him from any remoter ancestor. This channel, which conveyed the hereditary blood from his ancestor to him, is not only exhausted for the present, but totally dammed up and rendered impervious for the future. This is a refinement upon the ancient law of feuds, which allowed that the grandson might be heir to his grandfather, though the son in the intermediate generation was guilty of felony. But by the law of England, a man's blood is so universally corrupted by a tainter that his sons can neither inherit to him nor to any other ancestor, at least on the part of their attainted father. This corruption of blood cannot be absolutely removed by authority of Parliament. The king may excuse the public punishment of an offender, but cannot abolish the private right, which has accrued or may accrue to individuals as a consequence of the criminal's attainder. He may remit a forfeiture in which the interest of the crown alone is concerned, but he cannot wipe away the corruption of blood, for therein a third person hath an interest, the Lord who claims by a shet. If therefore a man hath a son, and is attainted, and afterwards pardoned by the king, this son can never inherit to his father, or the father's ancestors, because his paternal blood, 
being once thoroughly corrupted by his father's attainter, must continue so. But if his son had been born after the pardon, he might inherit, because by the pardon the father is made a new man and may convey new inheritable blood to his afterborn children. Herein there is, however, a difference between aliens and persons attainted. Of aliens who could never by any possibility be heirs, the law takes no notice, and therefore we have seen that an alien elder brother shall not impede the descent to a natural-born younger brother. But in attainters it is otherwise. For if a man hath issue a son, and is attainted, and afterwards pardoned, then he hath issue a second son, and dies. Here the corruption of blood is not removed from the eldest, and therefore he cannot be heir. Neither can the youngest be heir, for he hath an elder brother living, of whom the law takes notice, as he once had a possibility of being heir. And therefore the younger brother shall not inherit, but the land shall ashet to the Lord. Though, had the elder died without issue in the life of the father, the younger son born after the pardon might well have inherited, for he hath no corruption of blood. So if a man hath issue two sons, and the elder in the lifetime of the father hath issue, and then is attainted and executed, and afterwards the father dies, the lands of the father shall not descend to the younger son. For the issue of the elder, which had once a possibility to inherit, shall impede the descent to the younger, and the land shall ashet to the Lord. Sir Edward Coke in this case allows that if the ancestor be attainted, his sons born before the attainder may be heirs to each other, and distinguishes it from the case of sons of an alien, because in this case the blood was inheritable when imparted to them from the father. But he makes a doubt upon the same principles which are now overruled, whether the sons, born after the attainder, can inherit to each other, for they never had any inheritable blood in them. Upon the whole, it appears that a person attainted is neither allowed to retain his former estate, nor to inherit any future one, nor to transmit any inheritance to his issue, either immediately from himself or immediately through himself from any remoter ancestor, for his inheritable blood, which is necessary either to hold, to take, or to transmit any feudal property, is blotted out, corrupted, and extinguished forever, the consequence of which is that estates thus impeded in their descent result back and ashet to the Lord. This corruption of blood thus arriving from feudal principles, but perhaps extended farther than even those principles will warrant, has been long looked upon as a peculiar hardship, because the oppressive parts of the feudal tenures being now in general abolished, it seems unreasonable to reserve one of their most inequitable consequences, namely, that the children should not only be reduced to present poverty, which, however severe, is sufficiently justified upon reasons of public policy, but also be laid under future difficulties of inheritance on account of the guilt of their ancestors. And therefore, in most, if not all, of the new felonies created by Parliament since the reign of Henry VIII, 
it is declared that they shall not extend to any corruption of blood, and by the statute 7 and C21, the operation of which is postponed by the statute 17 George II C39, it is enacted that, after the death of the pretender and his sons, no attainder for treason shall extend to the disinheriting of any heir, nor the prejudice of any person other than the offender himself, which provisions have indeed carried the remedy farther than was required by the hardship above complained of, which is only the future obstruction of descents, where the pedigree happens to be deduced through the blood of an attainted ancestor. Before I conclude this head of a shed, I must mention one singular instance in which lands held in fee simple are not liable to a shet to the Lord, even when their owner is no more and hath left no heirs to inherit them. And this is the case of a corporation. For if that comes by any accident to be dissolved, the donor or his heirs shall have the land again in reversion, and not the Lord by a shet which is perhaps the only instance where a reversion can be expectant on a grant in fee simple absolute. But the law, we are told, doth tacitly annex a condition to every such gift or grant, that if the corporation be dissolved, the donor or grantor shall re-enter, for the cause of the gift or grant faileth. This is indeed founded upon the self-same principle as the law of a shet, the heirs of the donor being only substituted instead of the chief lord of the fee, which was formerly very frequently the case in sub-infudations or alienations of land by a vassal to beholden as of himself, till that practice was restrained by the statute of Chia Emptoris, 18 Edward I, section 1, to which this very singular instance still in some degree remains an exception. There is one more incapacity of taking by descent, which, not being productive of any achette, is not properly reducible to this head, and yet must not be passed over in silence. It is enacted by the statute 11 and 12 William III C4, that every papist who shall not abjure the errors of his religion by taking the oaths to the government and making the declaration against transubstantiation within six months after he has attained the age of eighteen years shall be incapable of inheriting or taking by descent as well as purchase any real estates whatsoever, and his next of kin, being a Protestant, shall hold them to his own use till such time as he complies with the terms imposed by the act. This incapacity is merely personal. It affects himself only, and does not destroy the inheritable quality of his blood so as to impede the descent to others of his kindred. In like manner as, even in the times of popery, one who entered into religion and became a monk professed was incapable of inheriting lands, both in our own and the feudal law. Eo quo desit esse miles seculi, qui factos este miles Christi, nete beneficim pertinet ad ueme, qui non debet terere officium. But yet he was accounted only civiliter mortus, he did not impede the descent to others, 
but the next heir was entitled to his or his ancestor's estate. These are the several deficiencies of hereditary blood recognized by the law of England, which so often as they happen, occasion lands to a shed to the original proprietary or lord. End of chapter 15, part 2